Welcome back to the In the Dugout podcast. My name is Jason Ward, aka Red Sox Dugout, alongside Joey Nagel. How we doing? We are back. I'm sipping a Capri Sun, having a good time. We're in the off season. How you doing, Joey? Uh, could be better. Definitely could be better. There's uh, <laughs> I think that the whole Juan Soto situation is just looming, and uh, it's not great. Not great. Yeah, it's just like this big dark cloud looming above Red Sox fans right now. Let's get into it. First off, I just want to start off by saying it's been a while since we've done a podcast. I know we've been in, uh, you know, it's the off season, not a whole lot going on till right now. But here we are. We're talking, talking some socks. Um, so the big news, let's let's start off with this. We're going to get into the Brazil hire because we haven't talked about that. But Alex Verdugo was traded to the New York Yankees yesterday. So the guy that we got in the Mookie Betts deal, who was supposed to be franchise outfielder, is now playing for the rival team. Um, and people thought that maybe he was going to get flipped in a Juan Soto deal. Reports are saying not. Seems like the Yankees are holding on to him. Um, and so it seems like all signs are pointing to Verdugo is going to be playing for the Yankees in 2024. Um, how do we? What was our first reaction when we saw that trade? I know that I was I was caught off guard. I mean, we'd been talking all year long on this show how Verdugo was a trade candidate. He's probably going to get traded. I said he needed to be traded. I think it was a good fit um, for him to be traded because he wasn't really a great fit with the Red Sox. You have a crowded outfield with guys like Duran, Rafaela, William Abreu, Yoshida. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting someone else. But there's a lot of guys out there to mix into the pot here. Verdugo was kind of the odd man out. It's tough to kind of put him with this tag, but I feel like he's underperformed since he got here. Like he's he's played some good baseball. He's been really good defensively. He was great defensively this past season, um, but offensively it's inconsistent. He's dealt with some injuries, and it's just not really the guy, the all-star type guy we were promised when we when we traded Mookie Betts um, in that package for him. But again, he's he's also in a contract year. So the Red Sox didn't really make it sound like they want to re-sign him. I, I'm pretty sure he said during the season that they hadn't approached him about an extension. And then, of course, there's the clubhouse problems that we encountered this year where he core benched him. He had problems where he was reportedly showing up late. And who knows what that dynamic was inside the clubhouse. Like we can only see from the outside. So all of that taken into account, everything put together, Ultimately, Craig Breslow and the Red Sox thought that it was best to move on from Alex Verdugo and, and try to get what you can from him. And the return that we do get from the Yankees is three uh, minor league right-handed pitchers, which we'll get into. Um, but Joey, what did you think of this trade when you saw it on your phone? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the fact that Verdugo was traded doesn't catch me off guard. <clears throat> Obviously, being traded to the Yankees was not the biggest surprise ever because there were rumors in the past, which were really crazy. Like there was almost a trade this past deadline. It would have been uh one for one, Alex Verdugo for Clark Schmidt, which, you know, I looking back, that would have been kind of nice, but um, I would like that <laughs> possibly could have saved our season last year. But um yeah, it'd be obviously a trade with the Yankees is very rare. The last one was Steven drew for uh, what was it? Kelly Johnson in 2014. So um yeah, I mean, Verdugo, you know, he started last year off so hot, probably should have been an all-star. He played gold glove defense out in right field. But, um, you know, the, the issues with him were off the field. There were clear character issues, uh, constantly butting heads with Alex Cora. When you get benched twice in a season in a contract, you know, in the year before a contract year, uh, that's not a good sign. Um, and, you know, I I always I will never forget his comments made after the trade deadline where he says, you know, just seven more weeks to go. You know, oh, I that, forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a terrible attitude to have counting down how much time you have left in the season when you're in the middle of a playoff race. But um, yeah, it, it's clear that as last season progressed, his his mind got farther and farther away from the Red Sox. And um, I, you know, I think we talked about it a lot that he did not have a place on next year's team, especially with the emergence of William Abreu. But um, yeah. Yeah, it kind of sucks to see him go because, it you know, it really puts the nail in the coffin that the Mookie Betts trade was an absolute failure. But whatever, uh, looking back, I, I I don't care that he's gone. I'm glad that the Sox were able to get something for him. It's not a sexy return by any means, but 
you know, from what guys have said on Twitter, like Lou Merloni, it's a trade that really helps the Red Sox in terms of upper level minor league pitching, which is a huge reason why they struggled last year. They ran out of pitchers at AAA, and this helps mitigate that problem going into next year. Yeah, we'll get into it more when we talk about Breslow, but the Red Sox have made it clear that they have a, a strong focus on uh, bolstering the pitching staff and really diving into pitching development. Um, and, and I mean, that's been the biggest problem the past several years, last year especially, like you said, running out of pitching, not having quality pitching in the minor leagues to call up when you need, and just an overall lack of depth up and down the organization from the pitching side. So the fact that we're getting three pitchers uh, for one player, that alone is good. And they're not, they're not bad. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're pretty decent options. So the main guy, I, I think the top name in the deal is Richard Fitz, who was the Yankees number 12 prospect last year in double a, he was 11 and five with a three forty eight ERA pitched 152 and two thirds innings with 163 K's. Um, so he's he's a pretty solid guy. He's more of the prospect type. Um, Greg Weisart, Weisart, however you want to say that, um, had a 405 ERA in the MLB. Uh, and Nicholas Judas doesn't exist. Not a real guy. Yeah, he got he has drafted no stats. last year. Uh, has not <laughs> debuted in pro ball yet. Yeah, so. Yeah, I can break it down a little more. They like Richard Fitz. He was definitely the biggest name in this. Uh, he was a six-round pick in 2021. A pretty solid season at Double A last year. You like to see that he had more, you know, his strikeouts per nine were um, nine point six. That's pretty solid. Kept the walks relatively low. So th this is a guy who's probably going to open the year in Triple A, be his age twenty four season, and that's kind of someone you need, especially now. We'll touch on it later, but you know, you lose Shane Drohan. This is kind of a replacement for that, but someone who probably has a little more big league potential. Um, I've heard that he's got a good pitch mix and uh, it's something that could definitely play at the major league level. And then Greg Weiser, he won minor league pitcher of the year in 2022 uh, in 48 innings. He had a one six nine ERA um, with seven strikeouts. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, it hasn't exactly translated to the majors quite yet, but you know, there's, it's definitely possible. The, the raw stuff is there. He is, he is um he's a frequent on pitching ninja. He's got one of the nastiest sinker or um sliders and cutters that you that you've ever seen. It is disgusting. So I think this is a guy who the Red Sox could possibly turn into a quality middle reliever. So, you know, if if it just bolsters the bullpen again, right? So um he also has options left and six years of control. So that's great. It, it's a really good spot. We talked about it a lot. Like you need young. Well, he's not very young. He's 28, but you need controllable pitching. And that's what you get with Fitz and Weiser. And then I think that Judas guy might be a throw in. Um, I don't know if he's real, but it's not a yeah. sexy return by any means, but it's it's it, solid. It fits, I think it solid fits is a good what the Red Sox are, are, are moving towards. It absolutely fits yeah. what they're moving towards. Like I said, the whole pitching development thing. In my mind, these are three guys who can be developed to be something more. They already have a good base, all of them. And uh, Breslow and, and the guy they just hired for pitching development a couple days ago, Like these are, these are guys who are focused on developing pitchers. And these are three guys that you can really play with. And, and when you have a guy, like you said, who has that nasty sinker, the nasty slider, when they have the stuff, you can, you can make that work. You can shape them to command that better and to make better pitch decisions and, and work with them to make them a quality pitcher. So, and, and like I said before, when you're getting three guys for one, especially all pitchers, when we need pitching, you can't really go wrong with that. Verdugo, again, his contract's about to be up. He's been underperforming, had the clubhouse problems. Overall, I, th I think it's a good deal for the Red Sox. I'm not upset about it by any means. Um, I, I would kind of, in my mind, accepted that Verdugo was going to be traded like a year ago. Like I knew this was coming. I knew that his future was not going to be in Boston just with how things were going. Quick update. Yeah, so Richard Fitz is uh oh. <laughs> oh yeah, Kimbrel to the Orioles got Craig Kimbrel. No, uh, whatever. You hate to see it. Uh Richard Fitz is our number 10 prospect. That's good. Prospects are good. I yeah. always say that. <laughs> yeah. 
just real quick, I do want to give some credit to Verdugo for he, he came in, in an awful situation. He came in under the, the shadow of Mookie Betts and, and people are like, oh, are you, you, he's the replacement for Mookie. That's how he was looked at. Uh, he comes from the Dodgers in the deal for Mookie Betts and you're like, all right, this is an outfielder. This is Mookie Betts replacement. And he has to live in that in that shadow starting out his career in one of the hardest cities to play for from a media standpoint and a fan standpoint. Um, and he had his moments. I mean, last year he was the walk-off king. He played with passion. He had some um, funny post-game interview moments. Great defender, contact bat. When he was healthy, he was good. Um, so shout out to Verdugo for coming into Boston and making the best of a tough situation. It's going to hit when he <laughs> knocks his first walk-off against the Red Sox for the Yankees to win next season because we know that's going to happen. But that's part of the business of the game. Yeah, uh, you know, I just I I've never been a fan of Red Sox Yankees trades, and uh, it continues. But yeah, I feel you look at it under a much more intense microscope when when you trade with the Yankees because it never happens. And you know, because we're the one who gives up the major league talent, it it just it looks bad for us. It looks worse for us, and I completely understand that. But I thought honestly, I thought Verdugo's market would have been higher than than what they got, and I guess it wasn't. Like if you're trading for you know three minor league pitchers with the Yankees, that's how you, you trade knew. him at the deadline. Yeah, but it, it it also shows like that's how you knew that around the league, Alex Verdugo is not a highly touted player. And no disrespect, I don't think he should be. I mean, he has objectively underperformed from the player that he was supposed to be coming up as a prospect. And even when he was traded to Boston, like this is a guy who was talked about as a everyday all-star type player. Kenley Jansen called him a hall of famer. If he could stay healthy, I don't know about all that, but his expectations were a lot higher than what he's, he's done. I mean, he's been, he's been a solid major league baseball player. He's been a consistent guy who can play every day and can be a top of the order bat, but he's just missing that next level. Like we've always been waiting for him to get to that next level. We talk on this show in the off season, the past several off seasons about this is the year for has got to prove himself. When we were talking to Tom Karen at the beginning of this season, he was saying the same thing. This is the year for has got to take it to the next level. We've been waiting for him to take it to that next level for so long. And he just hasn't been able to do it. And at this point he's, he's getting up there in age. Like he's been in the major leagues for a good time now, you got to think maybe that next level is not coming. Maybe this is just who Alex Verdugo is. Um, and whether he does find that next level or not, I, I, we're not waiting around for it. And now I, we're not giving him that big contract that we were talking about. Maybe we should. And this it just is what it is now. We set, set him a sale to a different team, different organization. Maybe they'll figure something out in him, unlock something. But um, yeah, it, it's just not going to happen in Boston. I do want to say one thing. We were talking before the show, before we started recording, about how we like how the Red Sox did trade with the Yankees in the sense that they didn't avoid that trade um, by and settle for a worse return from a different team. They went out there and they're like, all right, the best return we can get is from the Yankees. I know it's the Yankees, the rival, but those are the best players that we're getting in return for Verdugo. Let's do the trade instead of avoiding trading with the Yankees and getting less of return somewhere else. So I do like that. Trading with the rivals is never good, and we're going to have to see Verdugo a lot next year, which is not ideal because then you get like the immediate um, him performing in the majors and the guys that we got in return not really contributing yet. So that's a bad look, but I like how they went out there. I like how Craig went out there and got the best possible return. Um, to our knowledge, I'm assuming that's how it worked. But one thing I also do want to mention, uh, Joey, you, you kind of touched on it while you were talking about Richard Fitz. Top Red Sox prospect, I believe he was the number three prospect or pitching prospect, Shane Drohan. Um, uh, yeah, I think he was number three for pitching. Yeah, so it was a top three pitching prospect for sure within the Red Sox organization. Uh, he's gone, at least for now. The Chicago White Sox took him in the MLB portion of the Rule 5 draft. Uh, as you know, the Rule 5 draft is how we got uh, Garrett Whitlock. So it's it's where a team can draft a player who's not on the 40-man roster of an organization, and they have to stay on the Major League roster or they get sent back to the previous team. So this happened to us last year. 
um, and, and two of the three players ended up coming back to us. So it's not over yet, but as of right now, one of our top pitching prospects is, is gone to the White Sox, which is not ideal. I was very excited about Shane Drohan. Uh, some people are mixed. He was really good last year in AA. He had a sub-2 ERA um, and was like 5-0, and but then he struggled pretty heavily when he got to AAA. So it could be a case of a guy that's rushed. His pro career started in, in 2021, so maybe there was a degree of rushing him there. Um, but yeah, so he's gone. It is not good. We're talking about how we're wanting to develop pitching, pitching prospects. He was one of the top pitching prospects, so losing that is not good by default. Um, but I mean, and like I said, it's the Rule 5 draft. He could end up coming back. The, the book may not be closed for that, but as we sit right now, um, that's a top prospect gone. And like you said, Richard Fitz could be the, the, uh, the, the hypothetical repa- replacement for him in the pitching prospect pecking order. Yeah, I heard a really funny story about Shane Drohan from last year. He um, he didn't know how to throw a changeup. He thought he, he said that he like when when he was told to throw a changeup, he just threw his fastball, but slower. That's what he thought a changeup was just a slower fastball. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think he had a very low ceiling in terms of major league productivity and, you know, there was a deadline to protect him and the Red Sox elected not to. So, you know, they, they did have they, three they, open 40 men spots just for the record. Yeah. They may know more than we do. Um, probably I would guess that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think. Well, actually, there's a new Red Sox trade that happened like 15 minutes ago. Uh, um, yeah, I didn't really care to. I don't yeah, think it's that significant. Uh, they, they trade. So he's actually the, the guy that they just traded for, uh, right handed pitcher Justin Slayton. Slayton. He, uh, he takes one of the 40 man spots. So it's down to two, I believe. But last year um, in double A AA and triple A, he had a 287 ERA, 107 whip. Uh, 86 Ks, 20 walks, and 59 and two-thirds innings pitched. He is a four-pitch mix, including a fastball, 95 to 98, 88 to 91 cutter, uh, a slider in the mid-80s, and a curveball in the low 80s. So um, an interesting pitch mix and some good numbers to back it up. Once again, it's a it's a double A, triple A guy. This is, you know, he's he's probably gonna open the year in Worcester and yeah, you can you can tell besides losing Drohan, you can tell what their um what their focus. Uh, yeah, what their focus is. <laughs> it's the off season. It's okay. Yeah. Someone clip this. I said that he's gonna be uh he's not significant, so someone clip this when he wins like Cy Young or something, an all star appearance. Um yeah, you can never go wrong with getting more pitching. That I especially after last year. Every pitcher you can possibly get, bring him in. So I do want to talk about some big news that we didn't really get to touch on before. Um, now that we got some of the current stuff out of the way, we have a whole brand new GM and we've talked about him a little bit so far, but I want to actually dive into Craig Breslow being the new head of baseball operations, the new chief baseball officer, which was the title that was made up for Heim Bloom and Craig Breslow takes over. Uh, people were drawing comparisons because Heim Bloom went to Yale and um, Craig Breslow went to Yale, and they both have the initial CB, and they both have the same role. Interesting. There's Theo a big difference, Epstein though. Went to Yale. What? Theo went to Yale, too. Yeah. It's all right. One good, <laughs> one bad. We'll see what Craig is. Uh, I do want to make one clear distinction. Heim Bloom did not pitch in the major leagues. So I'm Bloom. I don't even know if he ever played baseball. I don't know if he's picked up a baseball before. I could not tell you. Craig Breslow, on the other hand, that dude, that dude's been around town. He's pitched um, in the major leagues. He's pitched for the Red Sox in the major leagues. He's a World Series champion in the major leagues. And I think that so. So here's the thing with Breslow. This is a guy who is very, very, very intelligent. He went to Yale for biomolecular engineering or something, something really smart that I don't even know what it means. He did that. And he was named the smartest man in baseball, I think in like 2009 or something like that. Um, so he's, he's intelligent. And that right there is really good. But we saw with Heim Bloom, that's not everything. 
But then the key to Craig Breslow is the fact that he's been a player. He's been in a major league clubhouse. He's been on a major league field. So he knows the other side of the game, the clutch factor, the heart and hustle factor, and the chemistry factor of a clubhouse and how to build chemistry, what good chemistry looks like. Look at the 2013 Red Sox. You can't name a team with better chemistry than those guys. So the fact that he has both elements um, in his repertoire is huge. He can be the smart analytic guy who looks into the deeper analytics and stats and, and, and figures things out and unlocks things in guys. But then he can also be the guy who has a feel for the moment, a feel for the game and knows what to do to build chemistry, what players are thinking on a given, given day and how to piece everything together to be a successful winning team because he's been on a successful winning team by doing that. There's no guy, I, I personally, there's no guy that I would rather have as a GM right now, given the current state of the Red Sox. I think bringing in a guy who's been with the organization before and knows what winning looks like in Boston is huge because that's, I, that's where the Red Sox are heading. They want to be a winning team again. Ownership has said that. The Bloom move signals that. They want to get back to being a competitive, top-of-the-league type team. And a guy like Craig Breslow, who's been there, done that from a, a player's standpoint, I think is a great pick for that. And he's been, it's not like he, he was just sitting on his couch doing nothing. Like he's been in the front office of the Cubs. Like he's been around like different people doing that job for several years now. So I, I think it's a great pick for GM. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest disconnect in the Heim Bloom era was the fact that he didn't know what it was like to have boots on the ground in the clubhouse. He didn't know yeah. how certain moves would would impact the clubhouse. We always look back to the Christian Vasquez trade. While it was a good trade, it it completely demoralized the team and it shot him in the heart. Like that was the end of the season right there. And having someone who knows what it's like to be a player, knows what it's like to be a player around the deadline and knows how moves are perceived from a player's standpoint, I think it's a great thing. Um, you know, they talked a lot about how he'll work, um, very closely with Alex Cora. AC is going to have a huge say in the roster development this year. Um, which was you know, a problem last year. Cora yeah. made it very clear that he and Heim Bloom were not on the same page. There was that disconnect and Alex Cora was not happy with the roster construction. So using Alex Cora, um, to build your roster, since he's the guy who manages the roster, I think is a much smarter approach. And being on the same page with him is going to be huge, eliminating that disconnect, which is exactly what this does. Um, yeah, um, just running through a couple notes that I took. Um, he said he said he wanted to aggressively develop, which you know that's aggressively. Nice. Uh, here's here's my favorite quote: uh, "Derive objectives." Can't even say it. It's too yeah, smart. It's too smart. Okay, here's the quote. Derive objective analysis that can be used as a competitive advantage. I believe that I have the willingness to make the tough decisions necessary to succeed. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I saw it, I think of Chris Young with the with the Rangers. Very similar thing. He was a longtime big lead pitcher. He took the GM job fairly shortly after retirement, and um, he built a World Series winner. Yeah. You're not the only one who took notes during his press conference. I have a few quotes here that I really liked from Breslow. Um, well, first of all, I just want to preface this by saying that my biggest thing that I'm looking for is I want a drive to win this year. I want the Red Sox to be actively doing everything they can to be a competitive baseball team um, in, in the top half of the league, top third of the league. And so with that being said, here's the first quote from Breslow I really like. Quote, my desire to win today is as strong as it was as a player, and I can't wait to get started. So his his first thing in his mind is win, 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 and that's what I really, really like. I feel like Heim Bloom's first thought was more of develop, build, maybe. Um, but I, I like the win mentality, and kind of going off of that, his other quote, quote, I understand that some of you will see me as another nerd with a front office job. It's true, I'm that. But I'm also a 13-year big leaguer and a 2013 Boston Red Sox World Series champion. That was my favorite quote right there because that's exactly what I was talking about before, how he pieces both elements of that together. 
And the fact that he's aware of that and recognizes that it's perfect. Like I, I think that having that feel for the game is so huge, especially for a team like this, that feel for the game is going to have a different um, impact on the team and the chemistry of this clubhouse, which I think is very important chemistry. You can't, you can't quantify chemistry in an empirical way. It's not a number on a stat sheet. It's just something that you have to have a feel for. And no one is going to have a better feel for that than someone who's been there and played the game, which is what Breslow is. I also like how Breslow um, brought in another former Red Sox pitcher, another 2013 World Series champ, Andrew Bailey, to be the new pitching coach. Uh, we talked last year about how uh, pitching coach was a, a weakness of ours. Dave Bush was not not the guy. Um, so he got canned. He's gone. Carlos Fabulous also gone, by the way, which are two things that we asked for. So they're listening to us, which is really good. Um, but yeah, Andrew Bailey is the new pitching coach, which is great. Again, it's a guy who's been in Boston, knows what being in Boston, being successful in Boston is like. And he's a guy who was with the, with the Giants. He really helped their pitching staff take a step forward. He, he contributed to guys like um, Logan Webb out there. He built a really good bullpen. So again, when you're talking about possible guys to fit this role, I think Andrew Bailey is the ideal pick for pitching coach. Yeah, definitely. The track record is, is there. I like that. I like when teams bring in um, guys who used to play there as coaches. It's, it's a deeper level of care. Um, Andrew Bailey is also a Connecticut guy, I believe. So so is Breslow, um, both from the area. I like building a front office of, of people who are, who are actually fans of the team and who have played too. the team, knows what it's like to win. Um, but, yeah, I, I was surprised that San Francisco let Andrew Bailey go, but I guess it was because they also let go of Kapler. But um, Well, also, Breslow and Bailey are, like, best friends. Like, they're, they're really they close, are. and so it makes sense. Breslow yeah. wants his guy. Um, yeah. And I, I like that. I, I think it's a very low bar to be better than Dave Bush, especially in, in recent years. So not hard. I mean, we have not had a good track record of pitching coaches. Um, no, I mean, I don't think the, Carl the Willis Sox was that good. Been good at developing pitchers, like period. The yeah. last time that they developed a homegrown pitcher was like John Lester. Maybe Clay Buckholds. If you give him a couple of years, I would count it. Yeah. If he didn't get hurt as much. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, again, you look at all the yeah, guys that, they're bringing that, in, it like all fits that mentality. Developing pitching. Breslow is a pitcher, like pitching development is his thing. That is his niche. And same with Andrew Bailey. Like everything they're doing fits that model, which is exactly what we need. That's what I talked about in our last episode, looking at the offseason. We don't have a problem with third base. We don't have a problem in the infield. Tristan Casas, Trevor Story, Rafael Devers, maybe get a second baseman. That'd be cool. Offense was a top five offense, despite missing the playoffs. They were good at hit. Good at hit is great, but they were bad at pitch. So when you get some guys in here who can beef up the pitching staff and focus on that, that that really evens out the team. So I, I like the direction we're going um, with that pitching mentality, pitching focus is huge. Uh, you look at last year in the offseason, they started to have that pitching focus a little bit, where, but they kind of only did the bullpen. The the rotation they really whiffed on, um, but they went out and got Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin, among other guys, for the bullpen, and they ended up improving the bullpen significantly. That actually ended up not being the main problem with the team for the first time in years. So that shows right there that they're capable of identifying a need and a problem and then addressing it with competent solutions. And I think Craig Breslow is even more capable of doing that. Um, One guy, as we move back to kind of the present moment right now that the Red Sox have been rumored to be a top suitor for Japanese phenom Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who is expected to sign pretty soon. He's kind of, going around having some meetings right now. I know that the um, Steve Cohen of the Mets flew out to Japan and met with him. So that's a little concerning, but the Red yeah, Sox where's this effort from us. Where's this effort from us? You think um, John Henry's going to Japan? He did for dice K. That's back when he cared. He was. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Um, 
Yeah. He probably thinks Dice K is still on the team for all he knows. That's true. I mean, I I don't I know that the room rumors are rumors at the end of the day. And yeah, the Mets flew to Japan and met with Yamamoto. I think the Dodgers met with him this week and maybe the Yankees as well. It sucks not hearing your name in at least the meetings part. Maybe maybe they have met with him and they're keeping it low key, or maybe it's upcoming. But the the rumors have gone cold recently for the Red Sox up until about yesterday when it said that they were pursuing him. I just don't know where they stand. It, it, there there's been nothing coming our way for the most part in terms of reports these have been one of the most lackluster winter meetings ever uh, besides that Verdugo trade and maybe Juan Soto, but it, I'm a little concerned because this is an intense bidding war. Everyone around baseball wants this guy. You are going to have getting to, up there too. You are going to have to pay a whole lot of money. If you include the posting fee, it's going to be over $300 million that you're going to have to shell out to this guy and um, his team. And look, the connections there with with uh, Yoshida, they were teammates um, in Japan. You got to make an effort to get this guy. You have to, in my eyes, you have to land this guy. He's 25 years old. He's a can't-miss pitching prospect. And yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say. You have to land this guy, and I'm not encouraged by recent reports. So for those who don't know, Yamamoto, like you said, is a 25-year-old pitching phenom in Japan. Uh, who's been pitching out there since he's since he was 18? Uh, his career ERA out there is a 172 in 967 innings pitched. He's um, won three straight MVPs. Yeah, so that's pretty good. Um, but as you also mentioned, the the bidding is really getting high there, and he is now being talked about potentially getting 300 million. Like you said, with the posting st- fee, likely is going to be around that 300 million mark. That's a lot of money for a guy who has not pitched at all in major league baseball in the United States. Um, I know obviously he's extremely talented and has done what he has in Japan, but I said the same thing with Yoshida. It always worries me how their success is going to translate when they come over to a, a whole different league. Yeah, it's the same game, but it's a different league. You're playing in different stadiums with a, a very different travel schedule. The travel schedule was a problem for Masataki Yoshida. He struggled with the jet lag. He really struggled to kind of keep up with everything going on. And, and plus, by the time that the the second half of the season was going on, he was kind of worn down. By the last month of the season, last two months, they were starting to bench him a little bit, give him some breathers. He was kind of struggling to keep up. So that is one thing that worries me when you're talking about a guy switching from Japan to the States it's a transition and there is no guarantee that he's going to have the same success. Like, obviously, like I said, the talent is there and he's a 25 year old guy, but there is a level of concern that I have with that transition. Um, and it's worth it for a guy like Matsutake Yoshida where, yeah, you're paying him a significant amount of money, but it's not 300 million. Um, it ended up being around a hundred million, right? Cause it was like 92 and then 8 million for the signing or the yeah, posting fee or whatever. Like yeah. yeah, but three hundred million is triple that. Like that is a lot of money and a lot of commitment to a guy who hasn't pitched a single pitch in Major League Baseball. Um, with that being said, uh, that could be a risk that fits for the Red Sox. If you want to be a big market team, if you want to be a competitor, that's the kind of risk that you have to take, where you're dishing out money for potentially a really big return. Because say say everything goes well, glass half full, he comes over here and dominates the same way or similar to how he did in Japan, that $300 million looks like nothing. It looks like it's worth it. But that's the kind of money that any successful pitcher in the Major League Baseball would get. So, yeah, there's a level of risk, but there's also a high level of return. Um, and if I was a team like the um, Tampa Bay Rays, who, yeah, they're a competitor, but they're not a big market team, would I be giving $300 million to Yamamoto? Probably not. But if you look at the teams that are in on him, it's who originally were the big market teams, the uh, Boston Red Sox, New York Mets, Los Angeles Dodgers. It's the big markets who are capable of putting a uh, putting all 300 million on the line for a guy like Yamamoto. 
So am I fully sold on him? No, but do I think that it's a risk that the Red Sox may need to make? Yeah, I, I do. I, I see how it could benefit us and how it, it fits for what we're trying to accomplish right now, which again is to be a contending big market team. Yeah, um, I'm fully sold on Yamamoto. He's absolutely nasty. I've I watched, know you are. <laughs> I've watched a lot of YouTube videos on him. Uh, let me put it out there. I absolutely hate the New York Mets. Uh, friendly reminder, Steve Cohen is a financial criminal. That's where he got his money. <laughs> he, is a fan, he is a financial criminal. It's dirty money. Don't go there. Um, that being Plus, said, like New York is gross. Think, yeah. Queens? You, you walk Come around, on. you get secondhand pepper spray. Everything smells like garbage. There's new smells that they don't even have names for right now because it's just, it's New York. But what does that yeah. smell? We don't know. We don't talk about hey, it. The Boston Red Sox have a rich history of Japanese players. Hideo Nomo. Boston Daisuke smells Matsuzaka, good, too. Hideki Okajima, Koji Uihara. Boston smells um, like hot dogs and opportunity. Hirokazu Sawamura. Um, I don't know about that last one. Asataka Yoshida and now Yoshinobu Yamamoto. But yeah, look, he's 25 years old. He's an he's an ace. He is going to be an ace when he gets here. It, I don't care what the transition is from Japan. If you have a 172 career ERA in almost a thousand innings, and you've won three straight MVPs in a very competitive league, let's not forget about that. It, it that's a really True. good league over in Japan, especially now. And, yeah, like it's not the same as it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Like it. They they have said that it's a very comparable league to the United States now. It absolutely is. And you mentioned the Yoshida's fall off towards the end of the year. I counter with uh, Kodai Senga with the Mets. He was fantastic from start to finish yeah. this year. And I think Yoshida's problem was really playing every day. I don't know if... He just know, needs more every- coffee. Get him like yeah. a Duncan sponsorship. Hey, yeah, maybe he hasn't discovered Duncan yet. I think that right there, Ever if I was working they, for Duncan, get on the phone. That could be a great yeah. sponsorship opportunity. Look, I mean, maybe he doesn't know what Duncan is now that they that they were stupid and dropped the donuts out of their name. I'll never, I'll never. He's all confused. Yeah, for that. Um, yeah, but e- look, even if his first year there are growing pains and it's tough to transition, so what? This is going to be an eight-year deal, seven-year deal, something like that. Yeah, I uh, want to pivot real quick. Uh, I just saw a report that the Red Sox had a Zoom with Luis Severino. What are, what are we doing? Wait, Luis he Severino signed, signed with the Mets, didn't he? Yeah, but but they hey they they had a Zoom meeting with him last week. All right, All right. I'm gonna say this. This is what I'm gonna say about that. The Red Sox have been rumored to be looking at guys like Luis Severino, Domingo Herman, Jordan Hicks, some other bums. Oh yeah. That Domingo Herman, get out of here. He is, a, <laughs> he is he is a terrible person. That is the Heim Bloom move. Remember when Heim Bloom started Interest the homophobe? Like that's exact that that's exactly what what not to do. I it, you Breslo say no no that's stupid. Right? All it is is you say that you're interested in every single possible player. Does he play baseball? Yes, interested. Um, Oh god. That's what they're doing. That's all it Ra- is. Raphael you think we're Devers signing Domingo Herman? If if the Red Instagram. Sox if the Red Sox sign Domingo Herman, I will cook my boot and eat it live. I love that. There's love no way. There's no way it's gonna happen. He's a bum. Um, Craig Breslow, I have faith. Innocent until proven guilty. I have faith that Craig Breslow is not stupid enough to do something like that. Yeah, the guy but, threw a no hitter. But he also gave up like 10 runs and two innings every other start outside of that. The dude sucks. Do not He's sign not this guy. He's not good. He has horrible off-the-field problems. and he He's beat not a guy. good person. Yeah. probably. I mean, look at character. That, that'd be cool, too, to maybe look at character and be like, hey, that's not a guy I really want on my team. I don't know about you, but just don't do it. Just don't uh, do it. We got some developing news here. Uh, Raphael Devers, six minutes ago, posted a picture of him and Martin Maldonado on Instagram. Okay, so he's signed. What are we I doing? did see a rumor about that earlier. I, I saw it, too. Look, we're looking is, at him. Maldonado is fantastic with pitchers. Like, he is a huge reason behind the Astros' success, but where does he fit in this Wait, team? Did they release Reese McGuire? Because I saw Reese post on Instagram like as like a thank you thing. Oh, really? Did they non-tender him, maybe? 
I don't know. I, he might have just been like just that. grateful. Woke up grateful this morning. Grateful and blessed. Went straight from high school to, in 2013 to minor leagues and began chasing my dream. Thankful so many who helped me. Excited for next year and hopefully many more moments and smiles like this. Pure joy living the dream. Still the same kid. Sizzy's still on the team. Three hours ago. Oh, three hours I hate ago? this. I hate that modern baseball free agency and and rumors has turned into what he posts on Instagram. Oh, my God. This caption mentioned. Oh, my God. He followed this guy. I hate it. Yeah. Like, imagine, imagine like, oh back in the God. day, like, talking about, oh, my God. Nomar unfollowed the Red Sox. Where is he going? Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? I, I just... I don't really understand what the deal like. Maldonado is a fantastic game Back caller. Up. Back up. But Connor Wong's the guy. Profile, he doesn't profile much differently than Connor Wong. No, he's much worse offensively than Wong. I I agree. Wong is streaky though, and like, hey, if your focus is pitching, Maldonado's a great guy to have because, yeah, he's gonna hit one ninety for you. But he calls a great game. Pitchers absolutely love working with him. And he's a great defender. But he's also 37 years old. I don't. I just. I don't. I don't it. understand this move. It's it's kind of like a Jackie Bradley in your lineup. But does your lineup really. It, is your lineup really strong enough? I, I, I don't. I don't know. To have to have like, you know, an automatic out in your nine spot is your lineup good enough to be able to afford that i don't know i don't i don't know the way that i look at it is if they're going all in on pitching this is something that fits that theme like if you want to go all in go all in that's a guy who also has a connection to alex core from the astros yeah puerto so rico it's familiar it's a whatever if, if we move, sign him I though see the money i guess yeah, that's what i was gonna say if we sign him, this isn't going to be like, oh my God, we got Maldonado. Like, it's not going to be that big of a deal. He's probably going to be a backup catcher. He's not going to be the everyday guy. Connor Wong deserves that role. He proved it last year. And Connor Wong is a very, very good defensive catcher too. So if you want a guy in the in the clubhouse who's good with pitch calling and, and working with pitchers, he's a veteran guy, 37. That's a good guy to have in the dugout, 100%. Um, and, and if you are going out, there for like a, a playoff type game, like a big game, and you need a guy who can call a good game. I value that more than another bat in the lineup because with how this pitching staff has been, I think pitching, locking down pitching is more valuable than having another bat in the lineup. So if you have a catcher who can um, call a good game and get you six great innings from a starter, I'll take the hit in the eight spot and it, you said you don't think we have a good enough lineup to kind of do that. I, I think that we do. I think we have enough guys who can support that where you can hide them in the order. Last year, maybe not with some of the injuries, but depending on how the lineup shakes out, because I don't really know how it's going to work, you're going to have a guy like Trevor Story and Jaron Duran. Those are two top-of-the-order guys who I feel like can also be a, a second leadoff guy in the nine hole. The thing is, though, with – my problem with this lineup right now is it's so dependent on story remembering how to hit. And I mean, I kind of need last that. year is whatever, because, you know, he, it wasn't expected that he was going to come back and he came back. Whatever he did for you was fine. And then they the put year so before, much pressure on him, too much got, pressure. He, yeah. They want him to come the save the season. Was injury plagued. And then he had started to figure it out, then got hurt again. I just, I think it's tough to rely on Trevor Story being a middle of the order bat right now. It's kind of like a Chris Sale situation where you can't bank on it. And like the way that I see the lineup right now, you have someone like Duran, Devers, Casas. Um, you know, do you bring back Turner? Do you bring back Duvall? I would honestly bring back Duvall right now. Well, I think you need. You need a guy. You need, well, you still need to go out and sign a right-handed bat. There's no doubt about that. I if, think you need you need like a real like all-star type player. Like Justin Turner played that role last year, um, and, and he declined his option, so he's a free agent. They can bring him back. He is a little up there in age, but when you look at this team, Devers, yeah, he's a stud for sure, but he's young. 
Casas is young. Duran is young. Your whole team is very young. Trevor Story is kind of the older, reliable guy, but he hasn't really shown to be reliable yet. I think you need another cornerstone piece in that lineup. There's so many lefties in the lineup, too. I mean, you look at... It's got to be a right-handed bat for sure, yeah. Yeah, and for me, the perfect player is Reese Hoskins. I don't know how much he's going to cost you, but he can absolutely mash. He's like... He profiles very similarly to Justin Turner. He can get on base. Um, Younger. And he's too. dead pull righty. He's he's a dream for Fenway Park. Yeah. He's coming off an injury, so maybe you can get a little a little bit of a discount there. Um, you know, the only problem is where do you play him? You can play him DH at first base and DH. DH. Um but yeah, you absolutely need to get sign an impact righty bat because I'm looking, I I'm writing out this lineup right now. You have essentially your five best hitters are all left-handed: Abreu, Casas, Devers, Duran, Yoshida. So you really need to find some sort of balance in, <clears throat> in this lineup, especially playing half your games at Fenway Park. Yeah. You know, I I've heard the Sox are interested in Jorge Soler. I was going to like, say Jorge Soler. That's a discount, but. He can play a little bit outfield. He mashes. I don't um, know. One, Another one was Whit Merrifield. Obviously, that's a nah, little different. He's, he's a washed. contact and speed guy. I don't need in that again. We're good. Duran's fast. Rafael is fast. We're good. Yeah. Um. So one thing that I saw is the Red Sox are, are looking at second baseman. And mm-hmm. Breslow said that they're primary looking um, more at trades than free agency. So a guy like maybe Brandon Drury could be a decent option. But um, another interesting thing is like Meyer is projected to be called up this year. Yeah. One thing I'll say there also left-handed bat. Also. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of lefties, which I mean, if you can hit, you can hit, but it's tough when your lineup is going to be. I remember last year we'd put lineups out there. Seven out of the nine guys were lefties. That's tough, especially and like you said, when you're, Fenway Park. Yeah, Fenway Park is a, a park tailored towards righties. Unless it's you're really, lefty, you can use the opposite field. But yeah, it's a really weird thing to say at this point. But like, just it's kind of an impulse thought. But Yoshida really handcuffs this team. Just positionally. Where are you going with this? I don't like the way that I see it. I think if they had to do it over again, I don't know if they pull the trigger on that signing because, you know, let's say it was, let's say he was posted this off season. I don't think they sign him because the way that I look at it now, Costas is going to, Cora already said, Costas is the everyday first baseman. He's going to play every day. And so, you know, that's your power lefty in the order to join Devers. Um, I guess the reason I say this is we didn't know how much that Duran and Abreu would emerge as exactly what I was going to say. That's so it's a really interesting spot that they're in right now. I wouldn't rule out a trade of Jaron Duran um, because I know that his name has popped up in rumors. And I keep seeing that and I hate it. I got you so attached to Duran this year. The stupid BR baseball account keeps saying we're <laughs> going to trade Willier Abreu for Shane Bieber. No, we're not. No, we're not. No. Anyway. I can't even it, look at those. All the hypothetical it, trades that these like networks and, and accounts do, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. They're stupid. I can't even... I remember seeing on MLB Network a year ago, maybe two years ago, but recently, it was a deal where the Red Sox were trading Rafael Devers for someone. I'm like, what? What are we doing? doing? We're not trading Devers. Like, come on now. One thing I'll say about all of this is we can talk hypotheticals forever, but it's December 6th. Can we get some deals, please? Can we get the ball moving? I need some stuff going on. Like, this Verdugo trade was really the first real thing to happen outside of coach hires there's been plenty of that we got our chief baseball officer we got our pitching coach uh we still need a third base coach so shane victorino what are you doing jacoby ellsbury i thought they were gonna hire jacoby ellsbury because like he tweeted something when they hired andrew bailey interesting i'd be for it 
Hey, he's been I, living in the shadows, hiding. But no, 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 no. I don't want Ellsbury as a third base coach because he was so fast. He'll just send everyone because he'll yeah, be, like, be like, oh, oh you got that. Made... The ball's oh, in the cutoffs glove. Go, go, go. Short? I can, I can score. I could have scored on that here. Come on. Yeah. Turner, you got this. Go. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's waving Reese McGuire home. He's like, what? How come you didn't get there? <laughs> yeah. Um. Real quick. Back to the pitching targets. Um, I said Red Sox are heavily interested in Shane or Seth Lugo. They've been interested in him for up. years. Yeah, they really have. And you know, is this the year that he's they like the Jose the Abreu? Remember when they were interested in Jose yeah, Abreu for like five straight year. years? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind Seth Lugo. He's a good depth piece, but he can't be the pitcher that you take home this offseason. You're like, here you go, Red Sox fans at winter weekend. He- we got you, Seth Lugo. Yeah, there's good, there's no little kids wearing Seth Lugo Red Sox jerseys out there. No. Sorry, he's he doesn't excite me. But good Another piece. Another thing good is supplemental think, piece. Yeah, like it, exactly. And you know, he would be your 3 and Bayo would be your 2. You'd still need to get a 1. You need a 1. Chris Sale is yeah. not your 1. You need no. a 1. And if you can't get Yamamoto, I think you have to go Jordan Montgomery. He I don't think me he's so- a 1. I think you get Jordan Montgomery and a 1. Yeah. I mean, in a dream world, yes, but I don't. I let's talk about that for a second. Going up. I don't know how Montgomery hasn't been signed by the Red Sox. The guy yeah. pitched for Texas and decided to spend his off season in Boston. Yeah, how well, crazy what, do you have to be to voluntarily spend a winter in Boston? His wife got a job here. Yeah, she's uh, doing her residency at a Boston hospital. Um, Maybe yeah, so she got a job here. The guy is working out at Boston College. Like he's basically signing himself to the Red Sox. He's like, guys, I'm here. Give me some. Give me a contract. I'm ready. Um, and he dominated this season in the postseason. He's a guy I want for sure. He's a stud. Absolutely. He reminds me so much of John Lester. The way that he's just a bulldog. He's a lefty pitcher who yeah isn't gonna blow you away, but he gets outs. He eats innings, and he's a dog in the playoffs. Former Yankee, too, so there's some revenge story right there. Wouldn't mind that. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm completely out on Blake Snell. I agree. I don't want I wouldn't say completely. Like, if they signed Blake Snell, I wouldn't be like, ah, darn it. But it's not my first choice. I I think Blake Snell is a very, very risky move. Um, He's definitely risky, yes. Because... Yeah, he won the Cy Young. He has two Cy Youngs, and he won both of them pretty dominantly. But yeah, like he's the only time that he's ever surpassed 180 innings pitched is um, or no, not even that. Sorry, he reached one 180 innings pitched in both Cy Young seasons. But every other season, he hasn't pitched more than 130. That's nothing, and it's not with the great. money that he's gonna get, and. I just don't like it. His walk rate is increasing. Um, he's entering his 30s. I just I don't like it. I could be wrong, but I believe that he was even put in the bullpen last season for the Padres for a period of time. What, in the beginning before he turned up? Maybe. I just I just remember him pitching out of the bullpen for one period. It could have been coming back from injury. I don't know. I just remember that happening, though. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you – Kind of break it down outside of his Cy Young seasons. I feel like he hasn't been that good, which no, I feel stupid really saying because it's like if you take out the times he was really good, he wasn't that great. Um, and that's not really valid, but there is a level of concern about the consistency and the durability, the innings that's significant. The Red Sox, you need guys who can actually pitch innings. Like, yeah, if Chris Sale stayed healthy, he'd be really good too, but health is a factor when you're looking at pitchers and durability. And you you need some guys who can eat innings. Look at last year. Our problem was our, everyone got hurt. You need durability. Yeah. And the way that I, I see Montgomery as a guy who does that, he eats innings. Like Yeah, I like him. I know I know the Red Sox were are interested in someone who can just who's gonna make 30 starts a year, someone yeah. who's just gonna get it done. And, He's not the know, flashiest player, but I, I would say Jordan Montgomery is like my number one guy that I want. Yeah, I and I think I think he would be embraced by this city because of his mentality and yes. the way that he just dominated throughout the playoffs this year. Yeah. Um, you know, 
one last guy I want to touch on is Erod, because Eddie Rodriguez, Eddie Aces. I've seen so many. I I've talked about it on the pod before. Like, hey, what if we just trade back for him? Um, <laughs> but it's such a weird situation they're in. Like, I don't know. Do him and Alex Cora hate each other, or do they not? Or was it just like a one blow up? And because you remember he. No, didn't it's just, you? We talked about it on the podcast how it came he, out he that was he wasn't first liked. Free agent to sign, he wasn't liked in the clubhouse. Exactly, he was like distant. And with and the Tigers, weird. he just disappeared for a little bit. Like they didn't even know oh, where he was because he made a mistake. With the Tigers, he made a mistake. <laughs> he impulsively signed there. It was like, it was literally like three days after he pointed to his watch. Yeah, he signed with the Tigers. <laughs> And he's like, oh, my, like, immediately he gets to spring training and he's like, oh, my God, what did I do? What have I and done? Then, and then the trade deadline, he was traded to the Dodgers. And he was like, nah, I'm good. And then this offseason, he's like, yeah, I'd go to the Dodgers now. Like, what? I know. I'm all set. I'm, I'm Eddie, good. Eddie's a weird dude. He's a weird <laughs> pass. dude. But I, I only bring it up because I've seen in, like, several different articles that project him going back to the Red Sox, and they're like, no. "Oh, they could. There could be a reunion here." No, that's just lazy. If you knew anything about the situation, he's not yeah. coming. Plus, I mean, even from like a, a baseball standpoint, like Red Sox fans know better than everyone. Anyone we've watched him pitch, he is a guy who's going to nibble around the corners. Yeah, he can be good, but he's he's going to have a hundred pitches through four innings. Like he's. He's just not the guy that I really want. We've been there, done there. Well, yeah. We've been there, done that. Like, it's just, I'm good. I'll pass. It's just, I mean, it was funny when Alex Cora would just keep letting him go when he's at like 120 pitches. He's like, no, you're good. Go back out. You're good. Keep going. But I, yeah, I don't need that. Josh Winkowski, though, that's oh. a guy who could end up in the rotation. <laughs> The Red Sox have been talking about, uh, well, reports came out that the Red Sox have been talking about potentially stretching Winkowski out to see how he does in the rotation again. No, please don't. Stop. This is another Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Houck. Just pick, pick one. Winkowski was good in the bullpen, not good in the rotation. Keep him where he's good. Yeah, I know he came up as a starter. Lots of people came up as starters and became relievers. Happens all the time. Let him stay a reliever. Because last year, yeah, he was really good for a lot of outings, but then he also had a lot of meltdown outings. When he was overworked, he would melt down. You, no. No more experiments where you're moving a guy from the bullpen rotation trying to see what's going to work. It's just not going to work. Keep him where he's good in the bullpen. He's a valuable part of the bullpen. He was great as a reliever. He was one of the setup men. Keep him there. And then go out and get actual starting pitchers. That's what I have to say on that. Yeah, uh, this is just, you're going to ruin him. Like, I think people are forgetting that Garrett Whitlock might be cooked at this point because yeah. of what the Red Sox did to him. I don't know if we're ever going to see 2021 Whitlock again. This is your opportunity to make up for that mistake. You, ha you have a good reliever who, you know, he floundered in the starting rotation his first year, but you found a spot for him last year. Why? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I feel like... Yeah. The stuff that I've heard from the winter meetings th so far, I think the Red Sox are having a little too much to drink down there because <laughs> you're talking about putting Winkowski back in the rotation. They said Bobby Dahlbeck is going to be an integral part of our of our lineup. What are we doing? Like, you, what year is it? <laughs> Seriously. Like, someone give Breslow a water and tell him to sit down and take a minute. If we're talking about Bobby Dahlbeck, Bobby D being a crucial Bob stop. If we're talking about him being a crucial part of the 2024 what if he's Boston Red Sox. <laughs> ah, but what? think about it. If you could package <laughs> Winkowski and Duran together, it, it could get you something. It could I don't be want to trade Duran. I don't want to trade Duran. I don't, I don't either, but the way that I'm, I'm looking at this outfield, I, I don't know. Duran was a spark plug, though. That can, that, that, that speed wreaked havoc. Yeah, no, it does, and I I game I one hundred percent agree. Changing. But it's just it's it's interesting because are you going to have an outfield of some days it's Yoshida, Duran, and Abreu? Maybe. I don't know. 
it's just a really interesting. What they about, have a lot of ways to go about, about this. We can play the what, hypotheticals. What about trading a Brayu? What about trading a Brayu? I don't want to trade a Brayu. He His was value is very high. Very high. Yeah, but I also think he could be a very important piece. So can Duran. You got to give to get. I guess it would depend, right? I don't know. I, I, yeah. This is some January talk we're going through. When it's cold in January <laughs> and there's absolutely nothing going on, we're going to be playing like the conspiracy. We're going to put on our tinfoil hats and be it's like, going to be crazy. Oh, you know, uh, the hypothetical right trades. Center. Huh? The hypothetical trades. Oh my God. It's going to. It's like, okay, what if, what if we trade Bobby Dahlbeck, but then we also throw in Mac Jones and $25 gift card to Subway? And what we if get Dylan Cease, Mike Trout? <laughs> yeah, so that's not gonna happen. Um, hey, hey, one last hypothetical, and this is my favorite one. We, hey, the Padres are strapped for cash right now. Are oh, you gonna go Tatis? No, Tatis is a baby. I don't want him. He's got he's got you real want Xander tattoo. back. Oh yeah, <laughs> let's trade for Xander back, but the Padres have to eat half the money. That's genius. Imagine they do that and Heim Bloom is like, that's what I was trying to do. Look, hey, if the Padres ate half the money and traded him back here, it's essentially the contract we would have given him. Now so that, say, that's a thousand IQ play. Bogarts goes to San Diego, gets all that money, doesn't really have a great year, comes back to Boston, and everyone's happy. He learned how to play defense over there. Yeah, that's true. If that, I I hope that happens just because it would be so funny. Yeah. Look, hey, you know, it gets hey, you out of the Padres. Middle of the order, right handed bat. I see a fit. Yeah. <laughs> I see a fit. Middle, middle infield. infield. I see a fit. I, realistically, that would be such a good move. It's not going to happen, but that'd be such a good no, move for the Red happen. Sox. I, like, if the Padres ate like a decent chunk of that money and we gave them like. I'd give up Duran for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's not a hypothetical? Saving money on tickets with SeatGeek. Because SeatGeek is the best ticket provider out there for all sports, concerts, shows, and more. They make buying tickets easy by grading every ticket price so you know you're getting the best deal. And they provide a view from your seats so you can pick the perfect seats to any event. This Christmas season, this holiday season, what's a better gift than tickets to a sports, a concerts, or a show? Z Nothing. And you can make it a lot easier by getting $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek by using the very special promo code DUGOUT. That's D-U-G-O-U-T. Is it $20 off? 20 whole dollars. So you could go to a Pats game for negative dollars. True. Did you see the $5 tickets last week? You could not pay me to go to a Patriots game. No, I, I yeah. Exa no. Well, hey, that's exactly the SeatGeek thing. Yeah. You yeah. can get free tickets to the Pats. Or you can go see a fun game or yeah. concert. There's a lot. Maybe, hey, maybe the maybe the B's, maybe the C's. Yeah. Not the Pats. No. Don't you want to wake up Christmas morning, unwrap your present, and is an iPhone with a QR code for a ticket? That's what I want to get this Christmas season. Oh yeah. <laughs> um do you want to touch on Tony Maz's tweet or no? Sure. Um <laughs> so yeah, uh I think speaking on having too much to drink, I think Tony Maz <laughs> might have had a little too much last night as well. Um, in response to the Verdugo trade, he goes, hmm, think the Red Sox could have gotten Stanton for Verdugo? Tony. <laughs> Tony. What are we doing here? You talk about if you want to do the Yankees the biggest favor in the world you take on that Stanton contract. Have you seen him? Tony Maz probably runs a faster 40-yard dash than Stanton at this point. He can't move. Yeah, he hits bombs, but he can't move. He can't play the outfield. He he can't play every day. He plays every other day, and then he'll go on the IL once a month. Even, even Catherine was like, yeah, he's a part-time player. Yeah, he's right. Um, you gotta be 
out of your mind if you think trading Verdugo for Stanton is a good idea. Maybe he's being sarcastic. Maybe he did that for this exact reaction. But Giancarlo Stanton is a sandbag. He's an anchor. And not in a good way. He's not an anchor of a lineup. He's an anchor of your... I don't even know. Tony Maz gets paid to say stuff like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's probably saying, like, if Craig Breslow was smart, he should have traded for Stanton. He would have moused at Fenway. Oh. He was probably sitting in his basement, rocking back and forth, saying, like, muttering, this guy sucks. This guy sucks. Blows. Uh on that note, um, I think the the final thing that we can close out here with is with not a lot of deals happening yet, a lot of guys out there, out there in the pond, Yamamoto, whoever else, here's my message to Craig Brezel and the Red Sox. Don't blow it. You got some great opportunities, you're set up well, go out there, don't blow it, get the job done. Please, please don't. Please yeah. don't. Um, you know, we'll probably like actually keep recording podcasts now that stuff is happening, you know? So we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, see you next time. Bye.